Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction. Back with you once again, Johnny Profita. Happy New Year, everybody. It is Friday, January 3rd, 2020. The 20s are here. And uh, man, my God. Look, it looks like it's shaping up to be quite the interesting decade that I predicted in the last episode. Anybody who hasn't yet listened to the episode I did, it was um, on the last day of the year. I think I got something about fourth turning, something like that. Um, I, I highly suggest you do before you listen to this one, because I want I want you to have that sort of in the back of your mind while we talk about the latest in the uh, military interventions of the U.S. overseas. Because the big story, the first major story of the decade, is what's been going on over in Iraq with Iran and the U.S. Embassy and all that stuff we're going to get into today. So if you haven't already, pause this and go back and listen to the previous episode. I, I think it will be beneficial to do so. And then after you listen to that, listen to this episode, then go back and listen to all the others. Yeah, do the, do the 20 episode challenge or whatever they call it. So that um, you, you, you're up to speed on everything and you're well informed. You'll be better informed than just about anybody you know if you listen to every episode of this show. But anyways, welcome back everybody. I hope you all had a nice, happy new year. And your New Year's Eve was not too big of a shit show. Um, I always hate New Year's. I don't think there's anything worse than the obligation to have to go out and, and party on a given day. I, I hate that obligation. I, I usually try to avoid it like the plague. I've grown out of going to all those bars and clubs or everything like that long ago. Uh, I don't even like going to them on regular nights let alone going to them on, on New Year's Eve and paying some outrageous cover. And, uh, you know, they, oh, all you can eat, all you can drink, except you can never get a goddamn drink. And the all you can eat is like some chips and salsa that they fucking put out. It's a bunch of bullshit. But anyway, I went to a house party. It was, as far as New Year's Eve things go, the least bad option. A lot of people I know actually go out of town. They just take a vacation somewhere which would be the best thing to do. I was out of vacation time because I've been taking three-week vacations like it's my job this year. But anyway, I hope everybody else had a, a nice happy new year 
and they've taken some time to reflect on the last year or so and the last 10 years because it's a new decade. And I guess technically it doesn't start till 2021, but whatever, you know, this is, you know, symbolic. The 20s are starting. It's, as far as I'm concerned, a new decade. And, you know, I actually had a different episode planned for today as I was going through the week. I, I, I was thinking of something I wanted to do for this episode and, you know, because the news is typically slow around the holidays and stuff like that. And there wasn't a whole lot going on. And then, boom, <laughs> pun intended, I guess, uh, there's this huge assassination. And all of a sudden, we're on the brink of war with Iran again. And so, obviously, I have to address that from the libertarian perspective. Of course, that's what we do here. I talk about politics, current events, and some economics with a libertarian bend to it. Well, I guess let's back up and talk about what exactly happened. For anybody who's not familiar, been living under a rock for the last day or so, basically what's been going on over in Iraq with the United States military is there? there's always these constant, I don't know if you want to call them skirmishes going on, where we do an airstrike or a drone bomb or something like that, and then there's like some militia group that fire some rockets at one of our bases, and then we retaliate, and then they retaliate, and it's constantly going on, right? Well, a, a few days ago, I, late December 27th, I think, something like that, these rebel forces hit one of our bases, okay? Uh, I forget the name of the base in Iraq. They killed a U.S. contractor, one of these military contractors. These are the typically ex-special forces guys who, after they get out of the military, they go and work for one of these private contractors like Blackwater or something like that. And those private contractors are hired by our U.S. government to go and conduct the war on their behalf out there in the Middle East. So they get to do a lot of the things that the military wants them to do without a lot of the oversight. It's a really perverted relationship. But that's a lot of what's been going on over there. A lot of what we've been doing is done by these private contractors. And so one of those guys was killed. Uh, a, a few other of our soldiers were injured in that strike. And so then on the 31st, the U.S., of course, we had to retaliate, right? So we retaliated with an airstrike. And then that airstrike prompted these protesters who allegedly are backed by uh, Iran. They're Iraqi protesters backed by Iran, and they just waltzed into this secured zone of our embassy in Iraq, which to me suggests that either all those Iraqi guards that were supposed to be securing that zone were either complacent or they were sympathetic to the protesters' cause, which I could totally understand, or... They were in on it, which I could totally see happening, or they were just simply cowards that didn't want to deal with an angry mob, which is also entirely possible. You know, it's not the first time that we, we've had Iraqi security forces that we've armed and trained tuck tail and run at the first sign of trouble, right? I mean, that, that happens all the time. You know, it's not surprising that all these people don't, their heart's not in this fight when really the only reason they're there is for a paycheck from the U.S. military. You know, why they put their life on the lines for a cause that they don't even entirely agree with. 
seems kind of crazy to me. I, I, w- I wouldn't expect them to do anything less. Angry mob rolls up on you. You just be like, hey, go on through. I'm not dying for this U.S. cause. But anyway, so this angry mob of protesters who the, the corporate press is telling us are Iran-backed militias have, have stormed the embassy, basically. They damaged some of the walls. I know they tore down, like, the emblem or whatever. And so then in response to that, in response to this attack on our embassy, allegedly perpetrated by these Iran-backed militias, well, Donald Trump conducts an airstrike targeting the the biggest mili- like military general in the Middle East. Like this guy is not not just even in uh, Iran is he revered and loved by the people. But I think all from what I understand like all over the Middle East this guy is like he's like General Patton, okay, to the US. Like what General Patton was to the US after World War II, this guy is to uh, Iran and even some parts of the Middle East, like he is like the the people's champion. He's a, as like decorated a general as you can get over there, right? And so we retaliated against them once again and killed that general. And um, there's one other guy, Abdu, Abdu, somebody or other. Uh, I don't know. One of the Abdu's over there. There's there's just too many to keep track of. And I'm never gonna be able to pronounce his name. But he's he's just sort of like a run of the mill Hezbollah general guy or whatever. I don't know. He's not the important one. The important one is Kasim Soleimani, okay? I mean, this guy is a war hero for them, right? So taking him out is no like laughing matter. This is a big deal. And it's not like it was just this random airstrike where he happened to be to be there and he died. Like this was Trump came out and said we targeted him. There were plans. Lindsey Graham said he heard the plans for it when he was at Mar-a-Lago. So th- this was a targeted strike directed at their their biggest general, and we took him out. And so that, in a nutshell, is basically what's been going on over the last couple of days, and. You know, we're getting the typical media reports of what these protesters did is considered an act of war, you know, by attacking our embassy. And just the fact that they're coming out and saying, Iran did this. Iran attacked our embassy. And that is a stretch to say the least, okay? These are uh, essentially Shiites in Iraq attacked the U.S. embassy, but somehow that's Iran attacking the U.S. embassy. Like all of a sudden, anyone that doesn't want our military occupying Iraq for almost 20 years is some Iranian proxy. I mean, this is like the, the neocon equivalent of the Democrats, everybody being a Russian operative, right? Everybody's a Russian operative to the Democrats. Well, everybody's an Iranian, Iranian proxy militia group. To the neocons and the warmongers. And it's just like every time we have one of these things with Iran, it, it, it's just like, how do you not take a step back and just contemplate what we've been doing over there? And maybe this is our fault. Like maybe we've been asking for this, right? I mean, imagine if the Iranians overthrew our government in like 1953, invaded every neighboring country around us, right? Um, they, they they invaded Mexico and Canada, and they set up military bases all over the border along Canada and Mexico. 
It just surrounded us with their military bases. They destroyed everything around us. They destroyed Mexico even more than it's been destroyed. Canada's in shambles. There's people fleeing everywhere. But then they put on crippling sanctions on our economy so that they're starving our, our, our children and like, they make it impossible for us to operate economically. And then they've been telling everybody, that, everybody with a microphone all these ridiculous bullshit lies about how we've, we've been you know, six months away from a nuke for the last 25, 30 years. And that how if we ever get this nuke, we're going to destroy the world like three times over. So they do nothing but propagandize against us. They destroy everything around us. They surround us in military bases. <laughs> but somehow it's like, uh, you know, the Iranians are at fault here. They, they shouldn't have put their country so close to all of our military bases. And it's just like, I don't know what you expect. What do you expect from putting our military in over, I don't know, like 150 countries, something like that, all over the world? It's just asking for incidents like this. And I mean, forgive me if I'm not buying the corporate press's narrative that this is Iran behind this whole thing. I mean, every time something over there, every time we get attacked over there, it's always Iran, right? I don't think it's far-fetched to think that all these people in Iraq are, are fed up with being occupied by the U.S. military. I mean, think about it. Put yourself in the shoes of an Iraqi citizen. And think about what it's like to live in Iraq, okay? And you have a constant U.S. military presence, a constant presence of a foreign military power uh, just occupying space. Like this embassy that they attacked, it is the world's largest embassy, okay? It's the biggest embassy in the world. It's the size of Vatican City, all right? So just flip the situation around, right? And so Iraq has an embassy the size of Vatican City somewhere in the U.S. And they're doing nothing but drone bombing us and destroying our country. You have to live in constant fear of some U.S. airstrike. Your, your, your town's in shambles. You know dozens of people that have been killed in, in these ridiculous conflicts. Like, of course they're going to retaliate. Of course you know, if, if, if the situation were reversed and this was happening here, we would all be taking up arms against a foreign invader, a foreign occupier. Why does this surprise anybody? It seems far more plausible to me that there are various militias operating in Iraq that, contrary to the retarded neocon warmonger narrative, that we'd be greeted as liberators for bombing the bejesus out of their country— that, in fact, you know, people don't respond well to a foreign military occupation for almost two decades. You know, imagine that. Imagine that. And to just come out and say Iran did this, Iran did that, really overstates how much influence, even if we take the corporate press's narrative, we, we, we give the corporate press the benefit of the doubt, which, I mean, I can't think of one thing that the corporate press has reported on that would warrant them getting the benefit of the doubt. If anything, the U.S. press has essentially operated as a mouthpiece or a microphone for the deep state. They literally just bring these guys on, like John Brennan and all these current and former CIA operatives, that to just you know quote unquote tell us what's happening, tell us what's going on, and give us the give us the give us the news, right? But for the sake of argument, let, let's say that they're right. And these are all Iranian-backed militias. 
it's seriously overstating just how much control Iran has over these militia groups. I mean, even if they are backing them with, with financing or whatever, can we really claim that everything these militias do, every move they make, is coming at the direction of Tehran? It seems like a stretch to me, and quite a convenient one, given our history of trying to start war with Iran and even having a, a five-star general come out and literally tell us that war with Iran was the ultimate goal. I've mentioned that on previous shows. But I'm old enough to remember, you know, first it was 9-11. That's why we had to go to war with Iran for some reason. You know, that was uh, George W. Bush came out and named the axis of evil, Iran, Iraq, and uh North Korea, even though they, none of them had anything to do with 9-11. Uh, oh, okay. So then it was that, that was that. Then it was, you know, they were going to get a nuke. They were six months away from getting a nuke. And every time they'd, they'd shot down a drone or something like that, that was the next reason. It, and even after every single one of these, the justifications for these wars gets proven to be a lie, they just hop on to the next one. They're off to the next excuse. And there's never any ramifications. Uh, there's never any negative ramifications for any of this. Nobody loses their job. They're all still there. It, in government, they're running for president now. In the media, they all still have their jobs. We just had the Afghan papers come out. Turns out that, lie, that war was an entire lie. Uh, okay, the longest war in American history. They lied us into that. Uh, we just got another report saying that, oh, yeah, as um, every libertarian on the face of the earth was saying, turns out Assad didn't gas his people over in Syria. You know, I mean, how, how big of a fuck-up do you need to do in order to make you like, disqualified from holding office? I mean, I would think that getting us into the biggest blunders, the biggest military blunders in modern American history, Iraq and Afghanistan— you would think that that might be a disqualifier. Like, uh, yeah, okay, you got that wrong. And they, they all admit that they got it wrong. Now it's like, oh, yeah, I voted for the war in Iraq. That was a big mistake. It's like, okay, but that's not enough, all right? Like, that was the biggest mistake ever. You no longer get to hold office. How about that? How about, uh, no, you're not running for president after you voted for us to go into Iraq and Afghanistan and everything else. Uh, but no, there, there's no, nobody ever loses their job over this sort of thing. But anyway, back to my little thought experiment where we flip the, the script and it's the U.S. being occupied by a foreign power. It's not like you can continue to just occupy sovereign countries and put up military bases all over the place and this huge embassy with just a symbol of like U.S. power and and, and strength and like how we were in control of everything. It's very symbolic. And, and expect like local militias and citizens to not finally get fed up with it and protest. I, I mean, I think these protests would be happening with or without the backing of Iran. The backing of Iran's irrelevant. Uh, why are we over there? Like, what are we doing? There's a lot of hatred toward the U.S. and Iraq. We've been there for, what, 16, 17 years now? And it's obvious that we have no intention of leaving. Not only do we spend billions of dollars over there so that we can have carte blanche to operate in the area, but like I said, we built an, an embassy the size of Vatican City, which anybody who hasn't been to Vatican City, 
it's a massive area. It's got a huge wall around it. It's, it's gigantic. And, oh, man, did I almost hate every second of being in, in the Vatican City. I mean, uh, St. Peter's Basilica is incredible. It somehow plays second fiddle to the Sistine Chapel that Michelangelo painted the, the ceiling on. It, it, oh, my God, is it not worth it? It's so not worth it. Just go to St. Peter's Basilica and call it a day. I wonder what it's worse, dealing with the crowd in, like, Italy. I, I'm actually going in June. So, but I will not be returning to Vatican City. <laughs> Somebody else is going to have to put up with that. But I wonder what's worse, dealing with the crowd at the Vatican, being herded like cattle into the Sistine Chapel, or dealing with the crowd in Iraq at our U.S. Embassy. Oh, man, I think I might choose Iraq over that. Anyway, um, when you build a, an embassy the size of Vatican City, you're not going anywhere. Okay, that's not like something you just do and then you pull up stakes and leave after a few years. Like, that's a permanent thing, all right? So all this talk about pulling out of these cars, like, it's, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. So, yeah, the, the people don't want us over there. Shocking. And like I said, the, the, these protesters, these, the Shiites, these are the people that we put in power after toppling Saddam Hussein. They're the ones attacking us. So they don't want us there. We don't want to be there as a people. That's why every politician now, every politician today has to come out and say, yeah, it's been a complete disaster. I should have never voted for it. I denounce it completely. They all talk about how we need to pull out. Of course, they never do it. They never do it. We leave these troops behind. We leave these private contractors behind. We have all these embassies and all these military bases. And if anything happens to them, well, then it's an act of war, and we have to get involved again, and we have to retaliate. We have to fire back. We got to drop more bombs. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're sitting there asking for it. We're asking for one of these things to be attacked, and then once they do, well, that's our justification for further military intervention. It's ridiculous. And do any of these risks, does the risk of being one angry mob attack on an embassy away from World War III outweigh any of the benefits of having a presence over there? I mean, what are the benefits? Uh, what the hell goes on at all these embassies anyways? Why do we have them? Like, who the hell cares what happens over in Iraq? This is all just political nonsense. And it's just so obvious that the answer to all of this is that we shouldn't be over there. We should just leave. Just get out of there and, and let that, that part of the world deal with that part of the world. Because war with Iran, and I know I've talked about this the last time we had a close call with Iran when that unmanned drone was shot down, right? War with Iran would be much tougher, much bloodier than any of these other skirmishes we've been having over in the Middle East for the last 20 years. Like, we call them wars, but they're, they're not a war with, like, a real standing military uh, of a country that has, like, a national identity. That's what we're looking at with Iran. It's going to be much closer to something like a Vietnam where we're losing tens of thousands of, of soldiers in, in really bloody battles. And not like we're losing like a couple uh, hundred every year or whatever it is. And God damn, the corporate press. I hate the media. For, like It drives me crazy just how callous they are with reporting on this. Fox News is probably the worst at this, but the banging of the war drums. And just the amount of coverage that ending 
one of these conflicts gets. These longest wars in American history gets. Like any time we try to pull troops out, the amount of coverage that it gets versus the amount of coverage that happens while these wars are going on is just so irresponsible. Remember a couple months ago when, when Trump was going to pretend to pull troops out of Syria? but he's actually just moving them into southern Syria. And, and all of a sudden, you know, it was the Kurds, the, the poor Kurds, they were going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Well, it turns out, you know, the Kurds are fine. They're fine. Remember the amount of coverage on how they were going to be wiped out? Anybody remember a word about how they did exactly what I said they were going to do? They were going to be fine. They'd strike a deal with Assad and, and nothing would really happen. Any, any coverage on that? No, no, we're just on to the next uh, justification for some other bullshit war. Like, if we pull out and, like, a handful of people end up getting killed as a result, that's the major headline. That's the leading story. Like, Trump pulls troops out or whatever. Whoever pulls troops out, and now look what happens. Now look at this power vacuum, that, this vacuum that was caused, and all these people are dying. But they never actually talk about how many people are dying as a result of the invasion in the first place. And the human toll, not just the people that die, because there, I mean, there are tons of people that die, but all these military guys that come back broken mentally and physically, all of the, the millions of people that are displaced uh, over in the Middle East and, and that's causing all these migrant problems over across Europe, they never talk about any of that in, in relationship to the war. They were talking about the, the devastating effects of us being over there in the first place. You know, thankfully, Congress just got together and um, they gave Trump another $130 billion, I think, in additional military spending, bringing our total budget to something like $738 billion or something like that. So that now he can bomb even more people. That gets no coverage. But the second, the second we try to actually get out of one of these conflicts and not even really get out of it, just shuffle things around a little bit. But even talk of getting out of them. It gets, oh, oh, doomsday scenarios of all these horrible things that are going to happen. And then when they don't happen, like with the Kurds, it's, uh, we're just going to be silent on that. There's no apology. No, well, we got that wrong. And, and maybe we um, should have reevaluate our reporting on this or anything like that. No, no. We're just going to go on to the next sensational story and, and, and try to lie the American people into another foreign conflict. Oh, okay. Thank you. Just drives me crazy. They really are. And I can't say this enough. Nobody can say this enough. The corporate press is the enemy of the people. 100%. I mean, they sensationalize these stories. They create these doomsday scenarios to get people to click on links and to, to tune into their shows. And it's just so irresponsible. The ramifications of these news stories especially the, the ones where they perpetuate lies that get us into these conflicts that cause the deaths of millions of people, destroy en enormous parts of the, uh, of the world. The, the ramifications of that, it just doesn't seem like it ever en enters their mind. And they do the same thing domestically with, with the racial tensions. You know, they, they drum up all of these, these stories and these racial tensions where it's like, Dude, do like two seconds of, of uh, research on this before you just run with this narrative that could completely destroy the country. Uh, you've already got uh, tensions running really, really high. Do we really need to push the Jussie Smollett story? 
the hands up, don't shoot, the whole um, Trayvon Martin thing. Oh, which, by the way, there's um, there's a new lawsuit. He's now suing the family and the lawyer of that family for completely making up uh Witness, like fabricating witnesses. Turns out their star witness who claimed to hear Trayvon Martin screaming over the phone for help. Uh, it turns out that wasn't even actually her. That wasn't the girl on the phone. It was somebody, uh, the witness was somebody pretending to be the girl that was on the other end of the phone. Uh, there's a whole documentary on it. I can't get into it now, but all these media stories, the list goes on and on. The, uh, who are the, the, what was the name of that school? The Covington kids and that whole thing. And just all of these like fucking uh, so obviously ridiculous stories that they run with these narrative that that just stoke racial conflict across the country as if like they don't care that, you know, we were one like one spark away from having like a civil war here, from having riots in the streets and, and businesses destroyed, people potentially killed. I mean, for them, that's just like another story that they can report on. As more, as more, uh, more eyes on their show, more clicks on their links. No, oh, it's just disgusting. But anyway, uh, things are escalating very quickly now over in the Middle East. We've, we're sending in additional troops. The last report I saw was another thirty-five headed, thirty-five hundred headed over to Iraq. Iran is beefing up their border with troops and fighter jets. I saw the um, cowardly, closeted homosexual that's constantly overcompensating for his lack of masculinity and proclivity to be at the receiving end of his homosexual escapades. Lindsey Graham is out egging on the president, egging Trump on. He wants wants Trump to start bombing their oil refineries now with additional airstrikes. (laughs) This guy has never seen a war that he didn't support. I'd love to see all these pussy politicians that do nothing but bang war drums and callously play games with the lives of other people and and their children have to pick up a rifle and go fight on the front lines. Could you imagine what would become of our foreign policy if all of these neocons had had to come down from their safe little ivory towers and be the ones on the front lines of all these wars that they advocate for, all these wars that they lie us into for pure political gain. Could you imagine? I mean, they love to take credit for all the bravery displayed by our troops, right? They get to take credit for that while accepting none of the responsibility. They get to pretend that they are these brave, tough guys because they support the actual tough guys that have to go over there and do all their dirty work. It's as if they get to live vicariously through the troops, right? The troops are brave, and Lindsey Graham always wants to use the brave troops to do military stuff. So by the transitive property of retarded neoconservative dogma, Lindsey Graham is now brave, right? It's like, no, sorry, that's not how it works. You're all a bunch of fucking cowards. But that. How about if you want to go fight a war against Iran, you got to be on the front lines. Pick up a rifle and stand at post. How about that? But it's just so weird, this whole foreign policy thing. Like, foreign policy is this weird exception to all the rules that normal, non-psychopathic people apply to various situations. Like, oh, our embassy walls got damaged, so now we have to go bomb a bunch of people. 
Uh, it's like, I, I don't know. That, that doesn't seem proportional to me. I, I think, um, you know, any other situation, uh, like let's say people threw some rocks at your house and broke some windows and spray painted some graffiti on your garage door or whatever, and then you go on a killing spree to retaliate. Like, uh, I don't think anybody in their right mind would try to justify your reaction to that. It'd be like, whoa, 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 dude, you, you can't just go kill a bunch of people because your house got damaged. All right. Uh, is, isn't there another route we could go here? Like, is that our only option? Is there any other option other than just killing a bunch of people? Like, how about we just don't do that? How about we just say no? And then nothing would happen and everything would basically work itself out and be fine. What's wrong with that approach? But when it comes to foreign policy, no amount of killing uh, seems to be too much. It's all just fine. It's all fine. Uh, we have to respond, right? We have to show force and, and project strength around the globe and blah, 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 blah. Like, doesn't that make us worse or at least at the very least just as bad as the people that we're supposed to be mad at? Like, this whole thing is weird because they use these euphemisms and we hear them our whole lives and we get so used to them that we never sit back and question like what the hell is actually going on here. A drone bombing sovereign countries. Oh, okay, that's foreign policy now. That's just foreign policy. Or, or I talk about how the, the last time we declared war was World War II and that Congress has to officially declare war in order for it to be legal. That makes all the other wars from World War II through today illegal, right? And that's true. That's true from the standpoint of our governing documents and government and whatever. But morally speaking, morally speaking, even if Congress declares war, all they're doing is declaring a mass murder campaign, right? As if that makes it any difference. Like, Oh, well, wait, yeah, th that war is bad. It's illegal to just go killing people around the world. No, 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 no. Relax, relax. Don't worry about it. We declared it. We declared war. Isn't that weird in and of itself? It's just a weird concept, declaring war. Like, only a government would come up with something like that. Well, I'm going to declare war on you, and so now I can just kill and bomb and burn and pillage. I declared it. We just make this declaration and then it's just that that's it. Everything's good. There's no problem with anything that we're doing. Oh, we declared war. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Leave it to the state to come up with something like that. Like, uh, yeah, bombing, killing, that's all bad stuff. We shouldn't do that. But if you declare it first, if you declare this war thing that we created, well, then it's all okay. I might have brought this up on the show before months ago. I can't remember. But it reminds me of an episode from The Office when Michael Scott declares bankruptcy. <laughs> he just goes out there and yells, I declare bankruptcy. And then somebody says to him, you know, you can't just say bankruptcy and have it be a thing. He's like, no, no, I didn't say it. I declared it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you declared it. That, well, that changes everything. I don't know. Well, this whole thing is just ridiculous. We really need to stop everything that we're doing over there. I, I, I get sick of, of, of repeating myself, but we have to end these wars. They're getting, it's getting comical at this point. It'd be funny if people weren't actually dying as a result of this. Like, how are we ever going to get out of there? If we have, like I said, we have bases in over 150 countries, 
We have embassies all over the world, and we're occupying countries that don't want us there. So it's only a matter of time before something happens to one of these properties, and then we take that as uh, as a declaration of war against us, and that justifies us just sending missiles into into other buildings and killing a, a bunch of other people. I mean, th- that's just going to prompt a response from them, and that's going to prompt a response from us, and we just keep going back and forth like we've been doing for the last 20 years. Uh, oh, okay, that's the plan now. But, I mean, this, is, this could get really serious with Iran. It makes you wonder. if you, uh, Like I said, if you haven't listened to my last episode, you need to go do it on the fourth turning. But there's this crisis period. Uh, the crisis period culminates in either a financial crisis or a giant military crisis. And I think, I guessed, I guessed on the last show that it would be a financial crisis because I, I have one of those looming. That, that is definitely going to happen. 100%. I just don't know when. Military crisis is not guaranteed to happen, but I don't know. Uh, maybe I jinxed it here. Maybe we are on the brink of World War III now, and um, that could be what completes this fourth turning. It's also funny that Trump has now given the Democrats an actual good reason to impeach him. Unilaterally assassinating people overseas certainly qualifies in my book. And of course, I don't think any of them will uh, take that, take them up on that, because things like this have become standard operating procedure over the years, over recent years, and they would have to heavily indict their savior and black Jesus if drone bombing people without congressional authority turns out to be an impeachable offense. But, you know, I've seen some of these Democratic candidates coming out and condemning what he did as like a poor strategic decision and we you know could throw us into another war but i haven't seen anyone condemning him for what what he did on constitutional grounds or moral grounds or anything like that maybe i missed it but i i haven't been um checking the news too or checking the the twitter feeds too um closely over the last couple of days because of the holidays but um I don't know. We are certainly in the roaring 20s. We are ringing in the new decade uh, with a potential new war. So, yeah, all indications are that the next uh, 10 years or so are going to be quite a thing to see, as I mentioned in the last show. And, oh, yeah, we had the, um, real quick, we had the, I'll wrap up on this, the, the church shooting in Texas a few days ago. I haven't, I haven't really said anything about this on the show, and we've done previous episodes on gun control and mass shootings and things like that. And I just, I mean, the media has been pretty quiet on this as well. It's just another great example of why we should allow people to arm themselves wherever they want, wherever they want. I know it makes a lot of people uncomfortable to think that, you know, there are people just walking around society with guns hidden. But I, th- I really think a lot of that comes from those types of people being unfamiliar with firearms. Like, they're, they're terrified of them. They think that they're just going to, like, go off at any second or something like that. And that's not the way it works. And all of the, the fears that people have when they... All of the doomsday scenarios that they paint when you talk about allowing people to conceal carry wherever they want, none of those fears came to fruition in this church shooting. It was like the biggest indictment of that argument ever. 
like, well, you know, you're just going to have a bunch of other people, like uh, people who are uh, poorly trained with firearms just shooting everywhere, and it's going to turn into the OK Corral, and then the cops are going to get there, and they're going to not know who the attacker is, and they're going to start shooting innocent people just because they had guns. None of that happened. None of it. A guy walked in with a shotgun, picked off two people before he was put down within six seconds by a guy who was 30 or 50 feet away. I mean, it was some impressive shooting. Anybody who hasn't shot a handgun before, it's pretty hard to to be accurate from a distance. I mean, a, a handgun is really one step above having like a baseball bat as a weapon because you got to get so close to be effective with it. Uh, most people do that is. But he, but he um, I mean, this guy, w- within six seconds, put this guy down from across the church. Very impressive shooting. And there were a bunch of other people who were armed who pulled out their guns. Nobody else fired, as far as I know. There was no massive shootout. There were no innocent people killed in the crossfire. The cops got there. They didn't shoot anybody that had a gun. There was no nothing. It was a six-second response time. Okay, six seconds. Dozens of lives were saved. This would have been a a horrible mass shooting, and the media would be taking this and running with it as justification for more gun control if this guy hadn't been there with his gun to put that guy down in a, a matter of seconds. It couldn't have worked out really any better than it actually did. I mean, a six second response time. Uh, the cops can't do that. And, and that's just like the, the other thing is like people, all of these guys who claim to be anti gun. And I always say, you're not anti gun, okay? You're anti citizens having guns. You're pro-government having guns, which is like the dumbest position that you could possibly have. It's the same people who think Trump is literally Hitler want only Trump's uh, militia, only Trump's like armed guards that prowl the streets on the behalf of the state. They should be the only ones that have guns. It's like, all right, well, oh, and by the way, the shooter also got his gun illegally. <laughs> so, I mean, literally everything worked against that argument, that the whole gun control argument, guy got his gun illegally, he goes into the church, and a a responsible armed citizen put him out of his misery before he could do a ton of damage. Like, uh, uh, okay, anybody want to talk about that as as maybe one one of the better solutions to these mass shooting problems? No, no, nobody's interested. I mean, it just seems insane to me that all of these people who claim to be anti-gun are actually pro-police having guns. Like, all right, and then so some guy who doesn't follow your gun control rules because he's a criminal, and that's what makes criminals criminal. They don't follow your laws, so he gets his gun illegally, and he comes into your church or wherever you are, and he starts shooting people. What do you do? Because you're a law-abiding citizen, and that's a gun-free zone. You don't have a gun on you, and nobody, else, none of the other law-abiding citizens do either. Uh, okay, so now you just sit there and wait for the men with guns to come and shoot this guy. Like, why don't we just do that ourselves? <laughs> why don't we just do what this guy did and pop that guy the second he pulls out his shotgun? Uh, what's wrong with that? I don't know. Anyway, I, I was thankful that there were, I mean, if it were me, I would want as many armed people in that room as possible. Uh, I, I feel much safer knowing that I am surrounded by people 
that have concealed carry license that are carrying because it's that many more people that could protect me against the psychopathic killer that comes through the door. So anyway, if you are one of these people that are terrified of guns, like I, I get it. I, I'm not saying that you have to carry a gun, but what you should do is maybe familiarize yourself with them a little bit. Go to a gun range, like take a class or whatever, just to see how they operate, maybe hold one, get kind of comfortable with it so that you don't make these irrational jumps to judgment. It's like, oh, no, we can't have that. Like all of a sudden, if, if you, you put a gun in someone's hands, they're just going to want to draw it all the time and just start shooting people randomly. Or you'll get angry and you'll snap and you'll just start killing people because, well, you have a gun, you can do it now. Uh, that's not how people operate, okay? People don't just snap. There, there's a buildup to that process. There's a lot of little things going on. And, and having, I can speak from experience, having a, because I have a concealed carry license, having a, a gun on you, you become, first of all, much more um, aware and uh, far more likely to be calm in, in situations and not escalate things because you know that um, th- it could potentially become a, a deadly scenario. Uh, you're, you're far less hot-headed than you would be if you, if you weren't armed. You're far more likely to de-escalate situations where that firearm could come into play because it's the last thing that you want to do. Uh, generally speaking, yes, I carry uh, because I, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. But it's not like I go out there and looking for trouble because now I can carry a gun. Like that, that, No, that's not how it works, all right? So my plea to you, all of you anti-civilians carrying guns, is just Go, go get familiar with firearms, all right, and, and try one out. Like, you don't have to, um, you don't have to shoot it. I don't know, you can shoot it if you want to, but just, just hold one, learn how they work, all right? Um, learn the difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic and um, an assault rifle, which isn't even a thing. Learn a little something about these firearms before solidifying your opinion. All right. And and maybe there's something here in this church incident that we can take from. I, I can't imagine a scenario under the any proposed gun law, uh, gun control legislation that would have produced a better outcome than what happened in Texas. All right. So that's it. That's the um, first episode of 2020. First episode of the new decade. Uh, we're ringing in the new year with a a new a new war, and um, I don't know. I hope the the last couple the last uh, two days or so are not indicative of what's going to happen the rest of the year, and um, hopefully we see no more of these mass shootings. I ho- I hope any potential mass shooting gets put down just like this church one did, and maybe it, maybe that will deter some of these uh, would be shooters. From, from trying to cause a lot of uh, mayhem. But anyway, Happy New Year, everybody. If you like the show today, please do me a favor. Make sure you share the show with your friends. Download and subscribe. Follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. And if you would like to contribute to the show monetarily, you can always go to my website, PedalingFictionPodcast.com, and you can donate to the show from there. It should be pretty straightforward. 
Again, any dollar that you donate goes right back into the show so to help me increase our reach, deliver more content to you guys. And if you can do all that for me, I will keep coming back in 2020 for you with two episodes a week. I will be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.